Um, so here goes uh, the discussion for today. How to stop comparing your life to the life of others. And it's to do with this parasha of this week. It's called Parashat Bahalotcha, Which means when you go up, what was it talking about? It was talking about Aharon. Hashem says to Moshe and to his, uh, and he tells, he tells him to tell Aharon, his brother, that when you light the candles, and make sure that all seven candles are lit. And that's exactly what Aaron does. He lights the seven candles every day. And our rabbis ask, this is brought down in Rashi and commentary, our rabbis ask, why is this now mentioned when we were just talking about, in the last Torah portion, about the inauguration of the, of the Mishkan, of the tabernacle. So you had Aaron and his brothers lighting the candle. But the rest, uh, just last week, we were talking about the inauguration, the, the opening up of the Mishkan. This, the process where all the Nesim, the leaders of each tribe, would come and they would get involved in bringing different offerings, amazing things, in order to start off the Mishkan. It was like the place where God's presence would be. And all the Jews got together, the leaders of the Jewish community got together and they went and built the, uh, the tabernacle, the, the Mishkan. And the question that's asked is, why is Aaron in this week's Torah portion mentioned here about lighting the candles immediately after the story of the Nasim? And it says like this, bear with me because from here we're going to go to some really deep stuff. It says because when Aaron saw the dedication, the start of the tabernacle, he was upset. He got upset. You guys can hear me, yeah? Aaron started getting upset. He said, He said, it's not fair. I am not involved, not me, and not my whole tribe, not the whole Kwanim are not involved in starting off the tabernacle. Even though Aaron was going to be the one that was going to work in it for the rest of his life. But he was upset that he wasn't there for the dedication. To start it off, he was upset about that. And then God comes up to him and says, Don't worry. Yours is much greater than theirs. Why? Because you are going to light the candles every day. Your job of lighting the candles of the menorah in the tabernacle every single day is much greater then the job of all the Nesim starting off the inauguration of the building of the tabernacle, the Nesim, the leaders, they all came and they brought all their offering. But no, Aaron, your job is much, much greater. Why is his job so much greater? What is he doing already? He's just lighting a small candle. Everyone was there. Why, why was Aaron going to be happy when God says, no, yours is better. What's so much better about lighting candles? We've spoken about this slightly in the past, but I want to delve into it on a new level. Hashem is telling Aaron that yours is greater because you're going to do a daily job. Your job is going to be consistent. And just because someone else has another job, which is also important, yours is better because yours is going to last much longer. Aaron was jealous. He was jealous spiritually. He said, I'm not on the le- look. I'm not the one that's able to open up this new building. I wasn't given that job. Hashem says, no, don't worry. 
You won't be opening the building, but you're going to have the daily job of lighting the candle. And that's far greater. And that's something that we need to learn as well in our life when it comes to being jealous of others and the success of others. The response is, don't be jealous for a one-off occasion of somebody else because you want to desire an experience that's long-lasting. Let me give you an example, okay, so that you understand what I'm saying here. It's a really powerful idea. Everyone has difficulties in life. No one has it easy. Some people have difficulty in some people have difficulty in in finding a relationship some people have difficulty in finances some people have difficulty in health and it's very easy for someone to say it's not fair how can it be that someone else has a life which is so much better than me why do they deserve a life that is so much easier than me why is it for them their looks are so much better and they can date so much easier and they, this, why is it that this person's getting married so young, whilst for me it's so hard to get married? Why is it for this person they have money, and whilst me it's so, I don't? Why is it that this person, this is the kind of thing that we will naturally have on ourselves? And what does God say? Don't be jealous. Because the things that they have, and the challenges that you have, is exactly what's there for you in order to build you. That's what he's saying to Aaron. Don't worry. Don't be jealous. Yeah, they have. So that person's smarter. But he was born with it. The fact that you have to overcome and work hard to attain the wisdom. That is something that's going to be much better for your benefit in the long run. For them, it's a one-off thing. Someone makes money from a young age. So what? So they made money from a young age. So you're thinking, why can't I be like them? Yeah, but they made it in a one-off moment. Do you know what it will build for me? Even though it's hard to understand this, but it's true. Do you know what it makes me by the fact that I wasn't born this way? That I wasn't born in a family that gave me everything and anything? And now I have to attain it? Do you know what that means for me, for my health? This is the language here. It says, in general, when it comes to working on anything in life, the beginning is hard. We have a statement in the Talmud. All the beginnings are hard. No one in the world in one shot is successful from day one. A baby doesn't know math from day one. A child doesn't know how to run from day one. Everyone starts off with chaos. And by the way, that's how the world also was created. If you look at the creation of the world, that's a lesson for us. What does it say by creation? At first, it was just darkness. There was all nothingness, confusion. Everything was all over the place. And then eventually the world was built. What does that teach you? That teaches you that that's how we become. That's how the world becomes. From chaos, from the lack of order, you get order. That's how the world was created, and that's how we are created. That's why, by the way, when does the day start for Judaism? Right? When does day? When does the day start from the for Judaism in the morning? Near, when? Said at night. It starts at night. 
What's night in Hebrew? Vahi Erev, Vahi Voket, says in the Torah. Erev, Erev is the word for night in the Torah. What does Erev mean? It comes, why, 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 did, why is night called Erev? Do you want to know? Why Erev? Mixture. A mixture. Irvut. Irvut. Night means mixture when there's confusion. Right? When it's dark, you don't see everything. It's not clear. Everything's mixed up. Everything's the same. That's what night means. But when it comes to the morning, you have bokeh. What does bokeh mean? Bokeh comes from the word bikoret. Bikoret, levaker, means to investigate. Where you have clarity, so you, you're able to see. Someone who can't see can't investigate a situation. You can only investigate when you can see. Bokeh means clarity. Night means confusion. Choshech, lachsoch, right, means to hold back. You can't see. The world started at night because night is where confusion is. And that's how it is by us as well as human beings. Things at the beginning are a lack of order and then only order comes on later on. That's also why we had light on the first day, but only on the fourth day did all the firmaments, all the stars come to be in its place. But before that, there was confusion. Everything was confusion until everything came into its place. What does that teach me? When you're building yourself, at the beginning there's confusion, but don't be discouraged by that. We have a building, right? We're, we're working on our house right now. When you create a new building, everything's a mess. You have a skip outside. Everything's a mess. There's dust everywhere. It's disgusting. The floor, the grass suddenly comes broken, right? Everything gets torn apart. It's, it's just a mess, dust, disgusting. But what eventually happens? You have a beautiful house. Once you... Oh, I was talking about mess in the kitchen. Oh, I was saying how when I first got married, so uh, I didn't understand that, you know, when you have to cook, you have to turn your whole house into a... Your whole kitchen into a mess, you know? Like, it's not... It's not like you can cook and then maintain cleanliness as you're cooking. If you want to make something, it has to start off with mess. Agree? You can't make something and have it clean whilst you're making it. It doesn't work. You can't build a house and maintain a clean house. It won't work. So that's the message as well here. When I'm building myself, what can destroy me is my jealousy. Because what I do is I'm saying to myself, why can't my life be like that? Meaning, I don't believe it's possible for me to have that life. I don't believe it's possible for me to succeed. I don't believe that it's possible that by me, what I have is good enough. And I start feeling like, oh, all this mess that's happening in my life is nothing to do with me being built. But the truth is, in order to build myself, I have to have an element of mess. So that's, that's really the message that the confusion in life is at the beginning, but then eventually it brings the morning. And when we live a life this way, when I understand that the challenges that I'm going through, this is the emunah that we all need to work with and walk around with, is that the difficulties I have are made for me to build me. I should not be jealous. That's why when it comes to the word nisayon, which is the word for challenges in Hebrew, it means also nest. Right? You know this, yeah? Nest means to lift up. A nisayon, a challenge, is something that lifts you up. It's a flag. 
Victory. That's what, that's what Nisayon also stands for. The word Ness also means a victory. It's a miracle. But when I overcome that challenge, I come up higher, much higher than I was beforehand. It says, In a place that people that return to Judaism stand, even the greatest, most righteous people can't stand. Somebody who says, I'm going to start keeping Shabbat, is in a place that's much higher than someone who always grew up keeping Shabbat. To be able to stand in a place where you did it on your own, you turned towards it, and you worked towards it, that place that you built for yourself. A lot of people tell me, Rabbi, it's not fair. I didn't grow up in an environment that gave me Shabbat. I didn't grow up in an environment. Yeah, it's true. But every bit of Shabbat that you do is far greater than a bit of Shabbat that I do. Because you didn't grow up with it and yet you're still doing it. That's what I'm saying here. Don't be jealous of the other because the challenge that you are in is specifically for you to build you. In, in the Talmud, there's a, there's a lot of cases in the Talmud, in the Gemara, in Yevamot 63a, of many rabbis that had wives that were very, very difficult. <coughs> very interesting Talmud. Many, Gdolei Yisrael, they had wives that were very difficult for them. They, didn't, they gave them a lot of trouble. In the Talmud, it's called Isha Kasha. One story is of Rabbi Chia. There were many stories. One is Rabbi Chia. And his wife, it says in the Talmud like this, I'm reading the language. His wife would cause him a lot of pain, embarrass him in public, smack at him, embarrass him in public. Whenever he would find something new, he would put it, wrap it up, and give it to her as a gift. Every time he found something new, he'd give it to her to, as a gift. And she was, some even say she lost, she lost it. So his friend, Rav, another great Tana of the Talmud, comes to him and says to him, why are you giving a gift? She's causing you pain. She's causing you so much misery. Why are you giving a gift? Do you know what he answered? Amale, he says back, Dayenu, it's enough. She brings us children to the world and she saves us from sin. Enough that she grows us up, brings us children into the world and saves us. How does somebody get to such a level? To be able to be married to someone who is embarrassing you in public, causing you tremendous pain. And yet you're able to say, I'm going to give her a gift every single time. Every time I see something, I'll continue giving her gifts. Because it's enough that she brings up my children and she saves us from sin. An amazing level. The challenges that we go through is what builds us. That's the message here. It's focusing on the positive traits of ourselves is the key to not becoming jealous of someone else, right? We call it There's a famous letter that was written by Elimelech Milijensk, one of the famous Hasidic masters. And he says, every day, there's a prayer actually that many people say, beautiful prayer that people say, 
This is the words of the prayer. Adarabah, on the contrary, ten belibenu, put in my heart that I should be able to see the positive traits of my friends and not what they're lacking in. We should always be able to speak of our friends in a positive way, in a way that's good before Hashem. And we should never have any hatred over our friends, God forbid, in our hearts. We should always strengthen our love for you, Hashem. Because if I love the people around me, if I hate the people around me, I'm, I'm destroying my relationship with God as well. So I should always see the positive traits in them. I want it to be because you, you know everything. And I want everything to be pleasant in front of you. And I, me as a child of God, I never want to be able to present myself in a way where I'm good to you, but always fighting with my friends. So I want it to be that I'll be able to see the positive traits of our friends and not what they are lacking. This is all part of the same conversation here. Hashem tells Aaron, don't be jealous of the Nasim. Don't be jealous of their job. Because if you're able to see the positive in the job that you have in this world, you will be happy for them as well. Part of the problem with jealousy is I'm not happy with myself. I don't understand that the challenges that I'm going through are made to build me. It says in Shlomo Melech, Solomon says, King Solomon, he says, Love can cover over all mistakes. When someone's looking at the positives of the other person in front of them, you can bypass all the faults of that person as well. Because no one's perfect. And when you're dating, you can't expect the person in front of you to be perfect. You can't be married to someone that's perfect. You never will. Because you're not perfect. And no one is. So how do we overcome the imperfections? It's a good question. How do we overcome the imperfections of the people around us? You marry someone, they're going to be imperfect. They have difficulties, challenges, differences. How do we overcome those differences? It says, If somebody has true love, then they'll be able to overcome, bypass the faults of the other. What does it mean, true love? Not that you ignore the reality. But if you have true love in terms of finding the positivity in the other person, because that's what Maimonides says is love, is finding the positive traits of the other. When you're able to focus on the positivity of the other, you will be able to bypass the faults of the other. You can say, okay, they have a fault, but... Look at the positive sides. There's a famous parable that was used to explain this idea. And it all ties in to also not being jealous of others and stop comparing your life to others. Right? It's when you find love and positive in yourself and in the people around you, as opposed to finding the faults in yourself and the people around you. So there was this king. This is the parable. You ready? Very interesting. There was this king that had a huge... Uh, following massive kingdom he was already 50 years in the kingdom 
and everyone loved him. Best king ever. The king, however, was somewhat deformed. He had a huge hump on his back, uh, terrible spots on one side of his face. He was missing an eye. Part of his leg was replaced. And this was the king. Everyone loved him, the most loving and benevolent king. But he had some problems on his body, which is nothing wrong with the person himself. And the people still loved him. And they wanted to give him a gift. After 50 years of rule, they wanted to give this king a gift. What was it? A painting of the king. A picture. Someone's going to paint a picture of the king. So they brought in different painters. The first painter came and painted a picture of the king exactly how he looks. They present it to the king and the king gets totally depressed. He says, "What? Well, that's how I look. It's so I know that's how I look, but that's so upsetting. That's how people are going to remember me. With my big hump and missing an eye and all my problems, all my faults are in the picture. How? I, and he was so depressed, it didn't make him happy. So they brought another painter. And that painter had the best effects, the Instagram effects, image effects or whatever you call it. And he was able to change the image of the king. He gave him a real eye. He gave him a perfect body, perfect looking king. And he got upset again. He says, wait, that's not me. It's fake. That's not who I am. He got upset. He was depressed. Finally, they brought in the last painter. No one else wanted to do a picture now. They were all scared to do a picture for They brought in the final painter. He said, I'll do a picture for him. And this painter was very, very wise. He put the king on a horse facing in one direction. Whilst he's facing in one direction, the one eye that was missing was not seen. The leg that was broken was not seen. And all the marks on his body wasn't the, the, the mark on his back. The hump on his back wasn't seen. It was done in a perfect angle where you see exactly the king the way he is. But in the angle that works. That's exactly how it should be with us as well. There are imperfections within ourselves. But we can never grow if we focus on those imperfections, whether it's on ourselves or the people around us. We must focus on the parts of ourselves that are much more beautiful. Now, don't get me wrong. That does not mean we ignore faults, especially when it comes to dating. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. When it comes to dating, there are definitely things that you do not give up on. These are some of the things that we said in our dating series that you don't give up on. Okay. Here's four of them. You better remember this. But when you're dating, there's four things you don't want to give up on on your date. Meaning, if they don't have these four things, you can't date this person. So it's true. You want to see the positive traits of a person, but you can't turn a blind eye like that painter that drew a picture of the king as if he has two perfect eyes. It says that the Talmud also says as much as love can allow us to bypass the faults, it can also take us in the wrong path, right? Love is, can take a person, it can make you go completely insane. It can make you do the most stupid things. Hatred also, it says, hatred also could take a person and make him do the most stupid things. 
Love and hatred can make you go off the path of normality. It can make you extreme. But at the end of the day, that, those, that kind of love where you're blinding yourself to reality is not what I'm talking about. I am talking about the fact that if I'm able to focus and understand that not everyone is perfect, but focus on the positive traits of myself and the people around me, I will be able to be realistic with the people around me, not have expectations that they need to be perfect or that my life needs to be perfect. This is part of the problem of jealousy, thinking that somebody else's life is so much better than mine because I have this expectation that my life needs to be perfect. So here are the four things you need to look for when dating. This is, I'm not going to go into detail, because, but it is somewhat limited, vague, but still important to know. Number one is good midot, good personality. And when I say good midot, I do not mean good midot with you. Not good characteristics with your date, because they're putting on a great show. There's an interest here. Of course, they're going to be on their best behavior in front of you. The worst is when they fail and they don't behave in front of you whilst they're dating. That's a really bad sign. But normally people do behave when dating because they have an interest. So I'm not asking to see if the person has good midot to you. I'm asking that we have to see that they have good characteristics by how they are to the people around them, to family, to in work, to friends. Do they have friends? Right? That is because if somebody's angry and has serious issues with anger, let's say, well, that's one of the characteristics that's definitely a concern. But if they have serious, serious issues with, you don't want to be tested with that for the rest of your life, right? You don't want to be suffering with it. So it's true that people are not perfect and they change and they can grow, but you definitely want to do research on the virtues of the person. Are you attracted? to the virtues, and do they have good midot? Okay, so that's the first. Second is, yirat shamayim, which means, how do they overcome challenges? Fear of heaven, it doesn't just mean thinking of Hashem every second of the day. It means, I know God is around me. How, mu how much of a connection do they have with Hashem? Right, that's yirat shamayim. And it means I'm honest even when no one's watching me. How am I in terms of a nisayon, a challenge? By the way, this is the test for religious level. Some people say, oh, I'm going out with this girl or I'm going out with this guy and they're really religious. Well, they're religious because they were born that way? That's why they're religious? Just because they, their parents grew them up that way? That's called religion? Because they know stuff? It's not enough of a test. Religious level is not a test on the four things that I'm telling you about. Yirat Shamayim, fear of heaven is. How real are they with their Judaism is a real test. And that's something you want to find out. Which means if they go through, here's a test to see if someone was really connected in spiritually. When they go through a challenge, how do they react? They go through a challenge, suddenly they lost some money. Or they went through something that was difficult. Now, everyone can go through an element of, you know, humans are humans and we get upset, we get in pain. 
But does their connection to Hashem help them? When someone has a connection to God, they have tremendous ability to overcome those challenges. So Yirat Shemaim is a huge aspect in all areas of life. Not just do they do Jewish things, but are they caring enough? Are they thinking about what they're doing? That's called Yirat Shemaim, fear of heaven. Number three is something that you want to look for in dating. And this is something that you do actually when you date, not before. The first two things I said, good midot and yirat shamayim, are things you can find out before you date the person. And good characteristics you can find out before. And whether they are God-fearing is something that you can find out before. But these two, the next two you can't. Right? Are they, that you have to find out when you date itself. Third is, are they pleasant to speak to? Are they enjoyable when you speak with them? And fourth thing is, are they pleasant to look at? doesn't have to be beauty queen. But is this somebody that's pleasant to look at in terms of how you uh, look at them physically? Okay, so those are the four things. Good characteristics. Yirat Shemaim, are they fearing of heaven? Which means not when no one, how are they in private? When no one's looking, at least as much as we know, with their own relatives. How are they in, in terms of when they have challenges? How do they overcome challenges? Someone with Yirat Shemaim, they, they lost some money. They, $20 went out their wallet. Small thing. They lost $20. What do they say? Right? So someone with Yirat Shemaim says it was meant to be. I hope whoever finds it uses it in good health. Right? That's the mentality. The healthy reaction to challenges is completely to do with Yirat Shemaim. Someone who loses 20 bucks and curses his head out isn't attractive and shouldn't be attractive to you. Right? If, if a small thing, what is it already? Now, it's money. Money is money. But if it's a small thing and already they're cursing, to me, that's a danger. There's no Yirat Shemaim, fear of heaven. And the last two is pleasant to speak to and pleasant to look at. So, Marriage, because that's what we were talking about. People that in the Talmud that went through difficult situations in their relationships. Talmud talks about people that went, had very difficult wives. But that's what created them. That's what made them. So why do we get married? We've mentioned this in the dating series. Does anyone know why we get married? For a tikkun. Good. To become a better person. You got it. Tikkun is to fix myself. To become a better person. That's why we do all the mitzvot. All of the mitzvot that we do in the Torah is, is a mitzvah. Marriage is one of them. And it's there to elevate me. To make me a better person. Why does it make me a better person? Because through the challenge of facing someone that's different to me. Through the challenge of giving in to someone, through the challenge of folding, of humility, are we able to build ourselves? No one who's married can tell you that they don't, marriage is not something that you need to work on. If they tell you that marriage is not something you need to work on, then they might be married on paper, but not married in marriage. Okay, you can get married in paper. You had a wedding and you gave a ring. 
But marriage is when you're actually working on each other to come together as well. It's not just that you once had this thing where you had a ceremony where you married on paper. Marriage is something that you're not just two people living in the same house, sharing the same house, two people living in the same house, sharing the same bills, two people living in the same house, sharing the same kids. Marriage is two people working on each other to become a better person. Right? So that's what all mitzvot are there to do, especially marriage in itself. Marriage teaches a person, right? And the process of getting married, not just marriage itself, but also the process towards getting marriage teaches a person how to communicate. As opposed, here's a, here's a good example of good communication. You want to know a good example of good communication? You walk in the, you're walking in your house and by mistake you bump into someone. Right? You bump into someone. There's two, ways of act, there's two ways of reacting. They get hurt and they're like, ow! There's two ways of reacting. First is, oh, I didn't realize you were there. Why were you just standing there? Like, I didn't know you were there. Or you could just say, I'm sorry that I did that. And there's a lot of times where we react in a way which is like blaming the other person. I bumped into them. I hit them. Why was the bag there? The person got hurt. Ow. Wasn't my fault. As opposed to saying it wasn't my fault. Why were you there? Why was your bag there? Why were you in the way? All you got to say is, I'm sorry that I bumped into you. Because at the end of the day, you bumped into that person. All you got to say is, I'm sorry. So that's something which you learn through living with someone. A sense of empathy understanding a lot of times we need to the best solution to a problem is to listen we know that from therapists a therapist gets paid money sits in a room says yes 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 and then a really good the therapist if he's really good he answers back and says oh i i understand what you're saying what you meant to say is this, that, and the other. He just repeats what you're saying. That's the best therapist. The guy comes out and says, wow, that was the best therapy ever. He even understood me, and he listened to me, and he repeated what I said. Right? So that's what therapy is. In, in life as well, a lot of times, when you're facing someone, in terms of communication, the best communication is listening. The, the best. That's what people want to do. Is they want to be heard. The best communication is to say, you must be going through a difficult time. If they're telling you about complaining about something, the best solution is to agree with, confirm and agree with the problem that they're going through. Don't give solutions. That's not necessarily what people are looking for. I have a headache. They didn't ask you for a Tylenol. They know where the Tylenol is in the cupboard. You have a headache? That must really hurt. I'm so sorry. That's what they want to hear. You guys get what I'm saying? That's real listening and empathy. Empathy and listening is that you don't have to bring solutions. You listen. So all these things are things that you grow through marriage. By being with someone and living with someone all the time, you actually learn how to communicate. That's the point of marriage. The point of marriage is to allow me to grow into a better person. Just like all the other mitzvot are there to fix me into being a better person.
it says that life and death is in the hand of the tongue. The way you speak can give life or death. True? Of course it's true. Look at Hitler. Killed millions of people through his mouth. Look at all the negativity online and the misinformation that can cause so much damage. So life and death is in the hands of the tongue. But it's not only life and death. It's also happiness is in the hands of the tongue. You can give someone energy in the hands. It's in your tongue. Right? If you say the right words to somebody, they will have energy to do more for you. You just have to say the right thing. Mom, thank you so much. I miss you, mom. Right? Just the right words. When you cooked all of this food, right? all, just the right words at the right time can give someone the energy to do 10 times more than what they already did. Chayim v'amavet b'yad doesn't just mean life and death. It can also mean energy to live. The willingness to live or the depression is also dependent on the tongue. If someone constantly tells you, oh, you're an idiot, you're stupid, you're always, you're always, you're always wrong, you're always bad, eventually they'll feel like death. They'll feel depressed. No energy. Someone once came to a big rabbi, Rav Orbach, of Shlomo Zaman Orbach, a big rabbi in Israel. And he says to him, Rabbi, I feel like God has cut me into so many different pieces. My life is so challenging. I feel like I've been taken apart and cut into hundreds of pieces. So the rabbi says to him, you know, the most beautiful material. If I give you the most beautiful material, how do you turn that into a beautiful jacket? Give you some nice leather material, big amount of material. How do you make a jacket out of this material? He says, what do you mean? You have to cut it up. Exactly. In order to create the jacket into the perfect formation of what it is, you have to cut it into different pieces. And eventually it would make the jacket into the jacket that it is. Obviously, there's certain cases where challenges are way beyond us from our understanding. But a lot of times when someone says, I feel down, I feel depressed, I feel broken. Those are moments where a person can actually grow into the greatest being that they could be in their life. That, that's the moment of their, that they should conquer. Because that's the tearing up of the pieces of the material that it will eventually create the jacket. So, this is how we overcome the jealousy and our life and comparing, comparing our life to others. There's some other things that I wanted to tell you, but uh, we'll leave it at that. I'll just say one, more, one or two more ideas, beautiful ideas, and then we'll leave it from there. So, a lot of times, a person goes through challenges because they get used to good that they have. You get used to the light, you get used to the eyes, you get used to your arms, you get used to your legs, you get used to all the good you have. And then you start complaining and thinking that maybe my life should have this or should have someone else. For instance, in a relationship. Although divorce, getting divorced in Judaism is a mitzvah, 
right? You know that. It's a mitzvah to get divorced. But a lot of times getting divorced is avoidable. And it's a disaster when a, a home is broken, right? A home is compared to the Shekhinah. It's there's three places which is compared to the Mikdash, the temple. One of them is the home, the home of a person where you live. That home that you live in is compared to the temple. And sometimes when it's necessary, divorce is, a, is necessary. So it's a mitzvah. You have to know that divorce is a mitzvah. It's, it's, a, it's a thing that's good, that's needed in, in its time. But when it's avoidable, most times it is, what are the most common words of someone that gets divorced? I don't have any energy for this anymore. I don't have the time for this. I don't have the head for this. Why? There's too much to work on. To listen and listen and talk and communicate. It's too much to work on. A lot of times, a person doesn't think ahead. What about afterwards? So, okay, fine. Now I want to get divorced from my relationship, from my marriage. And then I ignore all the, all the energy that needs to be put into the future. The energy of looking at finding another relationship, dealing with all the differences and the divorce itself and the things that come after it, the loneliness that comes with it. A lot of times, just an example of something where I think to myself, it will be better on the other side. But instead of investing and thinking it's going to be better on the other side, just put a bit of energy now. And you can save yourself so much anguish in the future. 10% of your energy now of working, communicating with your spouse can alleviate so much pain in the future. But a person says, no, I don't have energy for this because I think that down there it's going to be so much better. But now is the time to work on the situation you're in. This is an example. Marriage is an example to many other areas of life as well. Ah, I don't, I, I can't, I hate my life the way it is right now. So I want it to be in a different place. But you can't take yourself to another place unless you fix the place you're in now. So you've got to put the energy into now so that you can take away the pain for later. Does that make sense to everyone? If you don't fix the pain of now, it's not going to change. Okay, so it says also another, another thing that we have to do in order to stop comparing our life to others. It says in Tehillim, in chapter 57, If I call out to Hashem, I do my effort. I do all my, my effort. I do all the work I can. I call out to Hashem, Hashem will do the rest. I just got to put in my part. My life is so broken. It's so difficult. I, this is not working. That's not working. Yeah, but today I woke up this morning. And tonight I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put in. I have 12 hours. I have 8 hours of my time. I'm not going to sit on that couch. I'm going to get up and I'm going to do. Right? That's what it's called. I'm going to do as much as I can for Hashem. And the rest Hashem will finish for me. This is the language in Tehillim chapter 57. There's an amazing parable to give us an understanding of what this means. There was once a prince. There's once a, a king that had a daughter and he wanted to marry her off to a special prince who will be the future king. So 
he looks and he, he puts everyone into a test. Everyone applies. And eventually he finds the 10 best guys. The 10 best guys for his daughter. They are the ones that are going to win. And for them, he creates the final test. What's the final test? He makes this huge tower. And he says to them, it will take you half an hour to get to the top. Impossible to get to the top in half an hour. But he says to them, whoever gets to the top in half an hour will get my daughter. 100 floors. It's not possible to go up there in, one, in half an hour and get to the top floor. Impossible. So the first five of these 10 princes, these 10 guys, says, forget it. I'm not even going to do this. Ridiculous. It's not possible to go up there in half an hour. I'm not going to make it. So they go home. The last five says, okay, let's try. First guy goes, starts going in. He gets to floor number 28. He sees that he only has two minutes left. Forget it. I'm on floor 28. I need to get to the 100th floor. Forget it. He goes downstairs. Second guy also, 29. Third guy, 30. Eventually the last guy. He goes up. Half an hour. He says, listen, if the king wants me to go up this tower and he thinks I can get to the top, there must be a way that I can get to the top. So he goes in the tower and he starts climbing. And he goes to floor. One, two, three. He sees the clock. One minute left. What floor is he on? He's on floor 31. Wow, he's chanting. He's got one minute left. He says to himself, it makes no sense that I'm ever going to get up to the 100th floor. But I'm going to put in my effort. And he sees one minute left. He goes up to the 32nd floor. And he hits, as soon as he gets to the 32nd floor, he sees an elevator. 10 seconds left, gets into the elevator, shoo, takes him to the top, and he gets married to the, prince, the, the daughter of the king. That's what it means. I'm going to do my part that my body is able to do. I'm going to pray. I'm going to do everything I can that's within my ability to do. And the rest, Hashem will fill for me. But at least I've got to do my part. That's also another aspect of stop comparing my life to others. When I know that I've done everything I can within me, I will be happy. A lot of my problems and my jealousy comes because I didn't put in the effort. And I know I didn't put in my full effort. And the truth is, if I do put in my full effort, the rest will be given to me as a gift. There's one last thing I want to tell you. Okay, It says in Nishmat Kochai, you know, Nishmat Kochai, every Shabbat we sing a special song to Hashem. Every Shabbat is one of the most beautiful prayers that we have. And we say like this, if our mouths was filled like the ocean of the sea, and our tongues would rejoice like the waves of the ocean, and our lips would be able to give praise like the width of the heavens, of the width of the atmosphere. And if our eyes could see, like this, could give light like the sun or the moon. And, and if our hands could be spread out like the eagles in the heavens. Eagles are massive. If our hands could be spread out like that. And if our, if our feet were as quick and as fast as an ayalah. What's an ayalah in, in English? Um, one of the animals. What's the fast uh, 
forgot what it is in English. Not like a deer, but like a female. I know what you mean. Yeah. If we had all of this, we would still not have enough ability to thank you, Hashem, for everything you've done for me in my life. To give you a blessing for all the good. For the one in thousands of tens of thousands of hundreds of thousands of things that you've done for me. Nisim, all the miracles that happen, my heartbeat, my breath, my health, my, my, every single thing that you've done for me. Niflaot, they are wonders. Shasita imanu that you did to me and my forefathers and everyone that came before me. And then what do we say? We, we basically saying, even if my whole body was like the world, I wouldn't be able to thank you enough. Therefore, the limbs that you gave me and the spirit and the soul that you blew in me and the tongue that you put in my mouth, they are going to be used to thank you and bless you and praise you and sing to you always and always and thank you. And the obvious question is, what does that mean? How are you praising Hashem saying that you can't do it because you, you, you don't have enough ability to, but the mouth that you gave me will do it. It doesn't make sense. like saying, hey, you are so kind to me. I want to give you a million dollars. A million dollars I want to give you. But you know what? I can't, so I'll give you one. Here's one dollar. That's exactly what we're saying. We're saying, look, Hashem, you created all of this. And if my mouth was as big as the ocean, if my lips was as big as the atmosphere, if my eyes was as bright as the sun, I still wouldn't be able to thank you enough. And therefore, the mouth that you gave me is what I'm going to thank you with. Well, my mouth is tiny. It's not got the ability to thank you enough. It's like the one dollar. What's going on here? What does that mean? And the answer is, I got to, that's what you gave me. That's what I've got to do. I've got to do my part. Here's a beautiful parable that was brought that was given by a big, big rabbi, Rabbi Zra Atiyam, one of the head rabbis of the Sephardic community, the, chi- the rabbi of Rabbi Vadi Yosef, and all the rabbis of Israel of today, the Sephardic community. He says, it's like a king that has a Jewish financial minister. And in, in history, in Jewish history, many of the, many, many countries had a Jewish financial, financial mis- minister. Like uh, Don Yitzchak Ababanel during the Spanish Inquisition, and many other places, the, the financial advisor, the, the non-Jews believe that the Jewish people are very smart when it comes to money, and they place them as financial advisors of the people. So there was once a king that came to it that decided he wants a financial, uh, the minister of finances is going to be a Jewish rabbi, and he appoints him as a rabbi. And obviously, some of the anti-Semitic members of his parliament, of his government, says, no, why do you have him as a a minister. He says to the king, listen, king, whenever you appoint someone as a minister, they make a feast, they make a party to celebrate and they invite you. But this Jew never made a party and never invited you. The king says, oh, you're right. He goes over to the rabbi and says, hey, why didn't you make a party to celebrate the fact that you came the financial minister? He says, it's true, king, it's true. I would love to do it, but, you know, I'm religious. I make different types of parties. I don't put loud music. And The king says, do it in the way that you have parties. Do it in the Jewish way. So he says, okay. 
So he makes a party and the king comes. He loves it. He sees his community. The king says, ah, brilliant. The next day, the same anti-Semite comes to the king and says, no, he made a party for you, but he was sad the whole time. Didn't you notice he wasn't smiling the whole time? He's a Jew. He's upset to spend money on you. And he was unhappy the whole way through the party. So the king says, no, it's not true. You know what? I'll go to him and I'll test him again. So the king goes to him and he says to him, can you make me another party? I know that you spent it on your money, but this time I want you to make a party with my money. Let's see if he pays with my money, if he's sad or unhappy. I want you to have the party with my money. So he takes the king's credit card and he creates a party. Massive celebration. And this time the Jew is happy. The king says, oh, he's happy this time. Last time when he spent his own money, he was unhappy. So, oh, he doesn't like the Jews. The king started getting upset with him. He goes over to the rabbi and says, how did you, how do you have a party? And this time when you got your money, you got my money, you were happy. When you were using your money, you weren't happy. But now that you're using my money, you're happy? He says to him, no, king, when you asked me to make a celebration, to make a party, I didn't know. I didn't know how, what kind of standards you want this party to be on. How nice you want, how much money to spend. I didn't know what, how much to spend on the party. So I put in money. I was nervous the whole time that you may not like it. But when you came to me and you gave me your credit card and you told me how much to spend, I was comfortable. I knew exactly what kind of party you wanted from me. So that's exactly what happens here. God, we say to him, listen, if you would have asked me to praise you, there would be no limit. I would ne- nothing could praise you enough. But you gave me a mouth. You gave me a tongue. You gave me eyes. And those eyes are very limited, but you gave them to me. And therefore, I'm going to praise you with them. Because you told me exactly how to praise you with what you gave me. And I'm happy to do it. But truthfully... Whatever I have is never enough to praise you, Hashem, for all the good that you do. That's what it means. I call up to Hashem and he will complete it all for me. I've got to do my part and God will do the rest for me and complete everything else in my life. But as long as I put in my effort. And here's the message. If you really put in the effort, you will not be filled with jealousy. The problems come when we don't really put in the effort. That's what I truly believe. If I really put in the right effort and I know that I'm doing everything right, why would I be concerned? Why would I be jealous? A lot of the problems come is because I didn't put in my effort. I didn't do the right thing. And then I call to God and he doesn't help me. But if I, I call to Hashem because I did everything I can, Hashem is going to finish it and complete it for me because He gave me those tools. He put me in this world with this body, with this family, with my life, with my looks, all for a reason. That is the emunah that we have to have when it comes to uh, living in this world and understanding that whatever I have is much more powerful than anything else. By the way, this goes back to the original thing. Aaron was jealous of his, of, his, of his peers, of the Nasim that built the tabernacle. 
Hashem says, don't be jealous. You also have a job and your job is even better than theirs because your job is long-lasting. Just because someone else seems to have something better than you, it doesn't mean it's better for you. And actually, it's not better for you. That's emuna To understand that, no, they had it because they needed it and they couldn't survive without it. I don't have it because if I did have it, it would challenge me and make a problem for me. So I'm going to do all my effort and put in my work and Hashem is going to help me. But I'm not going to be jealous of the jobs that they have because the challenges that I have is what's going to build me. Someone has an opportunity to build something. Okay, fine. But for me, I have the opportunity to maintain it. That's so much greater daily to work on myself every day. A lot of times someone can come to me and say, listen, Rabbi, I'm, I don't know why I'm not grounded. I'm, I'm hyperactive all the time. I want to grow Jewishly. I want to I learn. I want to I work and, and be respectable. But I'm just not grounded. I'm hyperactive. That hyperactivity is what's going to build you. Would you want to be someone who's not hyperactive? Then you wouldn't have life. You wouldn't be filled with all the energy that you have. Know that all the challenges that you specifically have is what's going to build you into the best person that you can be. And that's the answer that God gives Aaron. Tells him, listen, it's true you don't have that great beginning exciting job right at the beginning but you have the biggest job of all which is the daily work of working in the tabernacle that's such an important thing anyway may we all have the power and energy to overcome our jealousies and uh to be find to find the true joy in ourselves both in terms of what we don't yet have knowing that what we don't have is for my best because it's there to build me and in what we have already. Because a lot of times when we think about what we have, we get used to it and think it's given, it's granted, it's meant to be this way. But it's not meant to be this way. It's not given and it's not granted. If you're born in a family that has money and food on the table, that's not a given thing. It's a gift. So in order to overcome jealousy, we need two things. We need to appreciate what we have But we also need to understand that what we don't have is for my best and for my good. I know that it's for my best and for my good. Now, some people might tell me that, hey, that means I'm not going to be happy. I'm not going to be ambitious. You are going to be ambitious. This will actually make you very ambitious. When a person realizes what I have is amazing and what I don't have is actually currently for my best, You'll wake up with great energy in the morning. You'll wake up with tremendous appreciation of life and you'll want to continue. A person who is content is someone who wakes up with good energy. Someone who's depressed, who is not happy with what they have, wakes up with bad energy. So you tell me who's going to be more successful. Of course, the person that wakes up saying, everything I have is for a reason and everything I don't have is for a reason to build me. Yes, anyone got questions or ideas or thoughts? I have a question, Rabbi. Yes. So you need to do the best with what you have. This is what you're saying, basically. You need to look at the good of what you have and also understand that what you don't have is what's there to build you. 
אוקיי? Okay, so, מה שאין לך, זה גם בונה אותך. זה לטובתך. שני הדברים. מה שיש לך טוב, ומה שאין לך טוב. Because you yeah. don't have it, because it builds you, it makes you in a better person. I know somebody who has tremendous amount of money, and he's getting, he's getting divorced um, for the wrong reasons. Because of his money. I told it to him. His... Now, some people, I don't say that having money is bad, but I know in his situation, money got to him and has, has caused him to get divorced. Money is not bad. Okay. I'm, just, I'm just showing, don't be jealous of the other, that you have to earn the money on your own, because that is a gift in itself. If you were spoon-fed the money, that's different. Let's say uh, you, in your life, Neil, you could say to yourself, listen, it's not fair. I have to build myself a career. I wish I was born in a family where I was the son of Jeff Bezos and I had all the money in the world. Right? But will that be the best thing for you? And the answer is no. The fact that you weren't born into that person proves that that wasn't what God wanted from you. And actually, if that would have been your situation, you wouldn't have overcome it. You specifically. They may be able to overcome it because they got the money. But you specifically, the reason why you weren't in that situation is because if you were, it would have destroyed you. It wouldn't have built you. And there's a lot of benefits. There was a, there's a famous story of someone who went to a rabbi. said, Rabbi, please bless me that my business goes well. He says, no, I'm not going to give you a bracha. Who says, who says that this is the best thing for you? In that specific situation, he said to him, who says it's good for you? Who says it's good for you? Sometimes people are born into a very, very successful family. They come out with much more challenges. So this is an example where you could say, oh, look, this guy got engaged and found the love of his life at 24. But I had to wait till 34 to get find the love of my life. It's not fair. A person could say that. What's the answer? How should he answer that situation? What should the answer be? Life is unfair? You should start crying. Start crying? Should you say life is unfair? Or life is full of people? No, it's exactly what it should be. Because it builds you for something that is exactly for you. You need to wait this time to get to where you need to be. Uh, exactly. Uh, to get the life you want to have right now. Exactly. That he, yeah. This is the emunah that a person needs to have. If I would have been the person, them, they got married at 24 because God knows exactly the plan for them. But if I would have got married at that age, and if I would have found the love of my life at that age, right, then it would have been impossible for me. I would have messed up in my situation. By the way, That's actually a bad example. Our culture, by the way, has pulled us in the wrong direction. There's a lot of times where we get pulled in the wrong direction. This complacency has caused tremendous problems in dating in many areas of people thinking, oh, I have time, I have time, I have time, I have time. But when, when, when does time, how do you know how much time you have? How much, how do we know how much time we have? 
Listen, as I've talked about this recently with multiple people. As long as you're trying, you can't stress out about it. Exactly. And it's a question but, then of how hard you should be trying and what it's trying hard mean. And doing the right thing. But that's exactly the right and, perspective. That's exactly the words. When I call out Hashem, Hashem helps me do the rest. It, it's, I can be relaxed because I know I've done my part. Yes. Yeah. Uh, no, no, I just wanted to say that um, it, it's wrong from us to worry about stuff that uh, it's not in our control. So it's basically like we want to play God sometimes and we can. So we just like Omri said, we just need to do the best we can and be uh, exactly like it needs to be. Exactly. Worry. It's not in our control because then we play God. And... It is a big mistake. And yeah. a lot of times what we need to think of also is if I've done my part, then the challenge or the lacking that's in me is actually for my good. That's why I, I want to also strengthen the, the, the right way of Emunah is actually to come to a point where I'm actually happy with my challenge. That's, that's the ultimate level of Emunah. It's a hard level to be on. It's painful. But it's to come to a point where I'm happy with this challenge that I'm going through. Dang. Isn't, wouldn't the divorce be for a reason too? <laughs> Divorced what? Wouldn't the divorce be for a reason too then? The divorce of your course. friend is going through. Of course, someone who needs to get divorced and he's done his, his part, he put in his effort, he knows he's done everything he can and the situation has called for a divorce, then that has been, that's going to be the greatest thing for me. A person needs to say that if I would have stayed, it would have been so much worse. If I would have, uh, now that I've gone through that experience, I never would have come out with such understanding and appreciation of life. You know, there's, there's that too. So is it uh is it better to to take things away from your life? Like you, you say, how everyone is born <clears throat> unequal in in a sense. Yes. Um, and and then those who are who are lacking a lot need to grow, or right. don't need to, but have the opportunity to grow. Exactly. Um. So, is it beneficial in some ways to uh, take something away to give yourself the opportunity so, to grow again. So the, so the answer to that would be no, that's, that's also wrong to throw away so that you should be challenged is also what be called foolish in Jewish teaching. Why? Because this is what you've been given. Look, we pray every day. Don't cause me to go through a challenge. We actually prefer not to go through the challenges. We don't want the challenges. I want to be able to be calm and peaceful and successful. But if I do go through the challenge, there are times, put it this way, there are times where I go through a challenge and God can say to me, that was your fault. That wasn't my fault. That was your fault. <laughs> That's what it says. But the person makes a mistake and then he gets angry with God. You did a stupid thing. You gave away all your money and then you're angry with God. Why I don't I have money? So you only want you only want to you want to know that the challenge you're going through is for sure from God. 
if it's for sure from Hashem, then you could be happy with that challenge. How, do, how can you know if it's for sure from Hashem when you did your part? If you didn't do your part, then maybe it's your fault. Is that, got is that one of... So I'm actually interested in this. Is that one of those areas where um, like free will and fatalism sort of intersect in Judaism? Because, you yes. know, the, the fatalist example is like, well, okay, you did your part um, and everything else is in the hands of Hashem. But if you choose to give your money away... You know, couldn't you then get mad about why is it that Hashem let me give my money away? That's you never get mad. God will say, I gave you all that money and you threw it away. Shame on you. For instance, <laughs> it says, It says everything is from heaven besides for fear of heaven. What does that mean? How good of a person you are is up to you. Everything else is up to God. How you look, how you feel. Uh, what kind of emotions you have? Well, your feelings you can control to a certain extent, right? But the type of uh, the type of build, the genetic build of your of your emotions, right? A lot of the things is not up to you. Uh, what kind of family you have? How much money you have? Not up to you. The one thing that's up to you is how you react to your situation that you're in, right? Whether you're righteous or not, it says when before you're born. Before you're conceived, that little speck is brought up to God, right? An angel takes the little speck of you before it's conceived and it goes up to Hashem and it says, what will this child be? It's a whole Talmud. Where will it go? Which family? Will it be healthy? Will he be strong? Will he be good looking? Will he have friends? Will he be liked by others? Will he... A whole list of things, but there's one thing it won't say. Is this child going to be Righteous or wicked? Because that's up to you. Then the Talmud also says one more thing. The Talmud goes and it says another thing. The Talmud says, Everything is from heaven besides for colds and fevers. What does that mean? A person can't go outside in shorts in the freezing weather and say, God's going to protect me. It's all from heaven. So God's going to protect me. No. If you go outside in shorts, in the freezing weather, which is for some reason a normal thing at frat houses. I don't know why. Frat houses, everyone walks around in shorts, even if it's minus 20 outside. If you go outside in shorts, right? Is it true? Isn't that true? Tell me, isn't that true, Omri? Well, we're, it's much warmer down here. I guess. But, you, well, here. But even in Oregon or other places where it's cold, so you you may, you may not get my joke. But there's something about frat guys and, and wearing shorts and never changing them. So um, anyway, what was I? So uh, colds and fevers are not are also in your control. So there's a certain element of logic, and if you go too extreme, you can destroy your gifts that you've been given to you by God. A person, yes can date someone that's meant to be their soulmate and then lose it. Yes, you can blow it away. Yes. There was once a rabbi who said, this year you're going to find your soulmate. Big, big rabbi in Israel. I have nothing to be Finkel. He says, I believe that this year you're going to find a room, soulmate. A year later, he comes back to the rabbi. The rabbi says, you met her. You met that soulmate. What happened? Why didn't you stay? You met her. A person can lose this by being stupid. Hashem could throw at you the biggest gift and you could throw it away.
Complain God 